Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Phil Drysdale Show. I am, as always, excited to be here. I'm excited to give you another great episode with a great conversation coming up with Lauren Scott, who is an eco-therapist, a sex and pleasure therapist. And uh, we're going to go into her journey of deconstruction, talk a bit about therapy, talk about ecotherapy as well, um, talk about pleasure and all sorts of stuff. Um, She's gone on an incredible journey from shame to pleasure to delight. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to share that with you. As always, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a free resource to connect with other people that are deconstructing locally in your local area. Um, if you want to support what I do, you can do that at patreon.com slash Phil Drysdale. There's a wonderful online community for those that uh, support what I do. We do regular video calls, audio calls. We chat all day, every day on a Discord server. It'd be wonderful to have you in there if you want to support what I'm doing. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. Uh, update, I am doing okay. My health still isn't 100%. Um, I'm still taking it a bit slower. If I haven't replied to your DMs, please, by all means, keep sending me DMs. I am going to get through them. I am going to get back to you. Um, I'm just a little bit slower than usual. I'm, I'm kind of taking between a day or seven uh, to get back to people. Um, and so, you, you know, you know how important it is to me that I get to connect with you all, that you don't go through this process alone. Um, but bear with me as I take a little bit more time. I'm just having to shuffle and juggle my priorities um, in this kind of season that I'm in. Um, And I appreciate all your grace, your patience, your kindness, your compassion, your empathy. Um, It's meant a great deal. All your lovely messages, your thoughts, your prayers, whatever you you put out in the world, healing uh, energies. um, I I really appreciate all of that. I I so appreciate every one of you. Um, And so thank you for that. All right, everyone, let's dive in to the conversation with Lauren Scott. Hey, hey. Good morning. Well, it's morning for me. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Where, where in the States are you? I'm in Colorado. Oh, that's right. I know that. I remember reading that in your bio and being very jealous of looking at you standing in the mountains and the gorgeous scenery. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's probably nicer there than it is here in overcast Manchester. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty driven, drab here. But yeah, it's tough. How are you doing? You, you all right? Yeah. I am a little sleepy, but other than that, I'm good. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I guess it's early for you, right? Is it 8.30 in the morning? It's 7.30. 7.30. Oh, of course you're on my, yeah. Gosh. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for getting up so early. I appreciate it. (laughs) It's a nice change for me. Uh, Most of the interviews I do with people in America, it's usually me staying up to like three in the morning or something. (laughs) Because a lot of people have like day jobs, they're busy doing something and they're like, I'll get it in after, which is fine. Um, But then you add five, eight hours on the end to that and it's late on my end. So it's nice. It makes a nice change doing it in the daytime for me. Um, yeah, so I appreciate it. I appreciate your sacrifice of dragging yourself out, bleary eyed, kind of trying to wake up for a podcast. <laughs> Hopefully, it wakes you up for your day, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I probably can't vouch for anything that I say in the next half an hour until I fully wake up. But it's you know. a good like get out of jail clause, right? You're like, oh, I was, I was just waking up. It's fine. Don't, don't hold me to that. I have that policy for everything I say anyway. I'm like, what do you think everything I say I think is true or believe? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's good. Have you got a busy day ahead of you? Um, pretty busy. Yeah, just yeah. seeing clients and um maybe maybe play volleyball later this evening 
Nice. Okay, cool. Do, do you play volleyball pretty well or is it just kind of like a thing you do every now and again? I, well, I played in college. Um, nice. So that was, you know, over 10 years ago. Um, but I still enjoy like playing kind of competitively, but not like super competitively that it's not still fun. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about volleyball. I love volleyball as a sport because there's very few sports I feel like I just hurl my body at, like just <laughs> all in. Like, And I'm a very cautious, very controlled person. I don't like putting myself at risk. But there's something about volleyball where I'm like, look, this is why we're here. And I just hurl my body across the room or, you know, I don't really care if I like injure myself on some, for some reason that part of my brain just switches off and I'm like all in. I don't know if it's, there's a ball there. I want to win. I, something overrides my fear of being hurt, which is very high most of the time. You know, <laughs> I'm scared of walking down the stairs most of the time. But you put me in a volleyball court and I'm, I'm all in, you know, broken yeah. bones put to the side. <laughs> volleyball cool. can definitely do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've, definitely injured myself at volleyball uh and i've never played on any competitive level probably what's happened actually is i've played with a bunch of people that don't really care about volleyball and they've all kind of stared at me going what is happening as i'm like throwing myself backwards and forwards and they're kind of just having a bit of fun um yeah i, I don't do anything by like you know low-key chill relaxed that's not my vibe my vibe is 1000 percent. how can we take this up to the next level uh, yeah Cool. Well, I'm excited to have you on. How, how much time have you got? What what kind of time frame are you working with? When do you need to start your day? Well, um, I normally take my dog for a walk right about now. Okay. Um, so when so... when your dog starts howling, we need to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I do. I certainly have time. Okay, cool. Well, we usually go about an hour and a half if that's all right. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll play it by ear and and yeah, if the dog is dying, we can, uh, we can wrap up as well. We're, <laughs> I, I am 100% sure that 99% of my listeners will have a bleeding heart for a howling dog that needs to go on its walk. Um, and so there's probably a few people that can't respond to that, but cat people or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> right. I love it. Cool. Well, let's, let's just dive in. Um, I, I'm excited. I, I have been following you on Instagram for a long time now. I, I don't know how long. Um, it feels like everyone on Instagram just blurs into, oh yeah, I've been following them, but I, I can't pinpoint when I started to follow people or why or which posts like triggered it for me. Um, but I, I can recall seeing your posts for a long time on my feed now. Um, and I just love what you're doing. And so I'm really excited to talk about, um, you know, seeking pleasure, um, having pleasure is a, a high goal in life. I know that's what you're all about, um, helping people rediscover that, um, maybe dive into a bit of their uh, inner hedonist. Um, but do you want to introduce yourself um, for people that aren't familiar with you? I'm sure there are people that are listening that aren't following you on Instagram and so haven't probably been tracking with you as long as I have. Yeah, so um, my name is Lauren Scott. I live in Denver, Colorado, and I'm a sex and pleasure coach and an eco-therapist. So I have been supporting people in recovering from traumatic experiences, and um, I've been doing that for a while now for over five years um, on the counseling side. And then about a year and a half ago, I started um, really like pursuing 
pleasure and unlocking um, sexuality kind of like on my own journey for a while and then realizing it was such a huge need for so many other folks as well. Mm. So I've kind of been branching more into now religious trauma with um, so many folks kind of really deconstructing their faith and um, coming to realize that they've had really harmful experiences that were abusive um, within churches and religious settings. Yeah, it it does seem to be so hand in hand for so many people um, that as they deconstruct, there's this like emergence, this is an awakening of like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff here. I feel like I know for me growing up in the church, I was so blind to so many things that were realistically very unhealthy, um, whether they were coping mechanisms at the time or whether they were just dysfunctional relationships or, and interactions and, and different things like that. Um, but it does feel that, that people that are going through these deconstructions, suddenly everything kind of comes to light and it's like, whoa, I've been pushing down pleasure. I've been, um, you know, abusing myself i have been abused by others there's all sorts of different components there is has that been quite a personal journey for you as well i mean i don't know many people that are in this work that haven't themselves kind of gone through the process of kind of unraveling their faith reorientating kind of figuring out where are they at like did you grow up christian i, I this is a leading question because i know that you uh you know you you were christian and, and and i know a few bits and pieces but do you want to talk about like kind of how you got to where you are now um because i'm assuming you didn't start right from the get-go as going like okay let's talk about religious trauma let's talk about how that interacts with uh, intersects with you know sexual uh trauma and abuse and um repressing our pleasure and things like that like that's usually not most people's starting point (laughs) right yeah it's yeah it's definitely a different world within kind of christianity and then navigating out of that so Mm. yeah i grew up christian like my mom became a christian in college through campus crusade um and she really like raised my family to be Christian. And Mm. she was really the spiritual head of our household. Um, My dad would go to church with us and everything. And um, both of my parents, you know, they were together then, they're still together now. Um, But it was really my mom who was kind of like the driver of our faith. And actually one of my favorite things about my family, especially like on my mom's side is that, my grandmother was like really involved in church and she would like read the Bible and question the pastor and be really outspoken. And then her aunt who raised her, um, she would like preach on the street. They wouldn't let her preach in church. So she would go in on the street and be telling people about, you know, about her faith and everything. So I come from this line of kind of like, these spiritual mamas who are amazing. Um, And I think they really kind of set me up for, you know, the work that I do now. Um, Maybe not in the ways that they would have expected me to do that work. Certainly (laughs) there's kind of this counter cultural, like fervor inside of me. Um, So anyway, like, I grew up in the church, kind of grew up going to non-denominational churches. Um, Mm. So I did to like the places that we went, I did get to see women preaching. Um, I did get to see 
kind of more kind of um, equality between men and women in the church. Um, so not like super conservative. Sure. Um, and there are still like these elements of, um, you know, all the things that like patriarchal influences and white supremacy and, right. you know, all of the yeah, these things are a spectrum right and so like it's very easy to be like oh that's not present oh well obviously um so many people jump to like oh so it's not a problem like there's this whole world in the middle right and so you, you didn't experience you know it wasn't westboro baptist church or something you were growing up in but um, right. actually they're, they're fairly equal, equal in a lot of ways actually so <laughs> they're quite big on women speaking and stuff so i don't know um but yeah but bad example but uh you weren't in the most fundamental of circles but probably still very influenced by um yeah a lot of problematic thinking patriarchal stuff yeah yeah purity culture mm. um definitely grew up growing to youth group and kind of like purity cultures heyday um and i like I'm kind of a socially awkward person and I had a lot of social anxiety when I was growing up. So I think it kind of, in some ways, it kind of shielded me from some of the negative influences because I was too anxious right. to like really um, want to be around a lot of people or be influenced by the people around me. <laughs> um, so that's, a, so that's an interesting way to avoid peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i like that. That, that maybe i'm thinking back on myself i was really awkward as a teenager and definitely didn't uh i probably would have fit in if i put myself out there a bit more and was a bit more vocal or whatever but i just was like no i'll just hide in my room at home actually so i probably avoided a lot of peer pressure myself in the same mechanisms so. yeah funny. yeah um but i definitely like um what am I even talking about? Oh, my spiritual journey. So I, I like was full on, like received everything about Christianity, um, kind of really took it in, was really strong in my faith. Um, I went to college and I played volleyball. So I was, um, you know, kind of sheltered because I was homeschooled from, um, in middle school. And then I went to like a traditional high school Okay. And, um, what was that like and, going from like homeschool oh into gosh. like kind of the real world almost, right? It was so hard. Really? It was so hard. And I went through all of the like normal kind of middle school, like awkwardness and like bullying and that kind of stuff just in high school, mm. just like late bloomer fashion, which is kind of my style is <laughs> taking things at my own pace. So yeah, I, it probably would have been, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I um, was one of the few Black people in a school, like a predominantly white area. Um, so it was like my family and then a couple of other families who are people of color. Um, yeah. So that definitely added to just the awkwardness and just feeling isolated and alone and just feeling mm. different. Um, and I like went to some of the youth group activities, but I wasn't um, 
super involved. Like I like going to church with my mom because that was kind of, it was safer than like being with peers. Um, So I kind of like, I took that, my relationship with God into college. And so I'm like an athlete playing um, on teams with other athletes who are kind of crazy and partying and um, doing all this crazy stuff. So I made it till I was about 19 and then I had some alcohol and I was like, this is great. (laughs) Social anxiety. (laughs) What? (laughs) You found the cure. I did. It's like, oh, this is why people drink alcohol. Um, So that I think, well, this definitely started much earlier in my life, but kind of this like double life experience of like, here's like my Christian self and here's the self that has like sexual feelings and gets aroused and is bad, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of like this splitting off of self so that I can fit into all of these different areas and still maintain the image. Mm. Um, so that was a pretty, that was, it was really impactful to kind of like feel myself splitting off. And then, you know, times where, um, you would, I would be in Bible studies, be like talking about what was actually going on and then, you know, coming out as those confessions of like, oh my gosh, I masturbated and I'm the worst person ever. And, you know, those like confessions, those public confessions in front of Mm. the entire girls group and um, stuff like that, where, you know, I was doing what I thought I needed to do. Um, And it really wasn't until I'd say three or four years ago but I was still like very much Christian, still very much in the fold of um, trying to do what God wanted me to do and trying to be this good, pure person and learning about how people who um, are not like straight, you know, people, how they're treated, how people mm. who um, are non-binary or transgender and how they're treated and actually like really looking at what was going on. Um, and I, I've experienced that it's been really hard. It was really hard to be a Christian and also be a therapist because mm. you're sitting with people's stories and you're like seeing people beyond all of like the labels that it's so easy to put up and distance yourself by labels. Um, And so actually like sitting with kids who are like, yeah, I'm transgender and sitting with kids who are like, um, I had a client who was afraid to tell her dad that she was a lesbian because she thought that he was going to rape her because he was a conservative Christian. And I was like, that is so fucked up. Yeah. Like yeah. beyond. Um, so it was a lot of a lot of little experiences that um just kind of like started to erode my confidence mm. and trust in my faith. Um and then really looking back over my life and seeing kind of this legacy of shame that I had been following um for a long time. Shame about my sexuality, shame about masturbating, shame about um 
this experience when I was a kid where like me and my cousin were exploring um, our bodies in a very like natural kid way. And that was really demonized by my mom, my grandma, and how that became like a formative experience of shame in my life. And so like being able to look back at that and have a hope of seeing it in a different light and not that I had to I mean, I would stay up and pray for hours, like many years of my childhood, feeling so guilty and so ashamed and, mm. you know, like convinced that um, on judgment day that Jesus was going to play the film of our lives on the big screen and everybody would know every single thing that I've done that was bad right. and just like make fun of me. So yeah, that was, that was a terrifying thought for me as well. I remember just like, oh God, like 25% of that video would just be me masturbating. Like, (laughs) like I was, I was a teenager when I was thinking all this stuff, you know, I'm like, I don't really do much else, right? I'm socially awkward. I don't hang out with people. I just sit in my room and masturbate. Like I'm figuring this out. Um, And yet I feel terrible about it the whole time, Um, except for when I'm masturbating. This is kind of sweet spot right in there, right in the somewhere. Uh, But it is. It's amazing how, yeah, like these kind of like stories, these things, and I'm sure they were really well-intentioned. The youth pastor talking about how God would show a video of your whole life or whatever. And like, I'm sure they had absolutely no desire to traumatize kids or anything like that. Right. Um, but it's amazing how how insidious some of this stuff um, can become for certain people as well. I, I, I'm always amazed by... Um, I was talking to Alice Gretchen. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She just um, wrote a book, um, Waywards. It's her memoir and it's amazing and it's fascinating. And, and her, her story is so fascinating about how much shame and guilt and bondage was just put on her shoulders. But it's funny, at the end, she kind of talks about her family and her brothers and sisters who were all going through the same churches, the same family, the same parents, the same experiences, the same schools. And none of them, they were all like, what? You, you thought that about God? And, and it's so interesting how certain people just seem to be susceptible, right? We, we hear that message. The person next to us somehow doesn't seem to be getting laden with shame and somehow goes on with their life happily as, as normal. And then someone like yourself or myself ends up traumatized, right? We're praying like three or four hours every night going, okay, God, before I go to sleep, because you might come back while I'm sleeping or, mm-hmm. you know, I might die in my sleep. I need to make sure I'm right with God. Um, I, I need to get it sorted. Like, it's just amazing how people... Uh, can be so susceptible to that. I don't know what that is. Do, do you have ideas of like why is you internalize that kind of like shameful kind of, um, you internalize those kind of messages, those kind of uh, ideas and, and made them something that, that oppressed you, that held you down. You didn't kind of brush it off. Like what, what do you think that was about yourself? And, and maybe even having worked with so many people, I guess, that are doing that, like what are some of the commonalities there as well? Like that, that cause certain people to be so harmed by this and other people not to be. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, maybe the other people just don't know yet. Maybe they're not aware, um, but it does yeah. seem that some people seem to be somewhat immune to it. Um, yeah. I definitely think it's, there's a personality component to it and also like attachment Um of, you know, like having a secure relationship with a secure caregiver. 
Um, Because I've noticed there's a huge correlation between religious trauma and folks who have, um, you know, like grown up in traumatic families. Um, So they're having like insecure attachments with their parents and then they go and like are kind of fed that very similar message at church. Um, I think there's also like, I'm much more of like a, empathetic, you know, like, um, introverted person. So my first orientation is to like, take things internally. And, um, it, I, it's definitely been a huge, like learning process to be like, this is not a reflection on me. So I think I do that with Mm. anything, with everything anyway. Um, so being a kid and like not having any sort of like defense mechanism and just like, came into this core of my being um so yeah that's a that's a very interesting question yeah I, I don't know I, I've not really thought about it too much I just I, I'm, I'm fascinated by it I, I remember talking to um um I think it was Brian Peck um and I've talked to his colleague as well Laura Anderson about religious trauma a lot and talking to them about certain things like hell and and it's it's a misnomer that hell is traumatic as a teaching because some people are not traumatized by hell. In fact, hell soothes their trauma. They're traumatized by the idea that there won't be a hell for the person that abused them mm. or for, you know, whatever, or, or just knowing there's a hell makes them feel safe that they're going to heaven or whatever. And then someone else is utterly traumatized, can't sleep for decades after they even leave Christianity because they're so fearful of hell. Um, and it does seem that somewhere in between those two people, there there must be certain ways of thinking, certain upbringings, experiences, whatever it is. And it does seem there's something there in, in, in purity culture and its effects. Like, I think, generally speaking, broad strokes, purity culture is a very unhelpful set of beliefs and things to teach. Um, but it does seem that a lot of people grew up in purity culture and have healthy sex lives. They aren't traumatized. They aren't mm-hmm. constantly wrecked with guilt over their sexuality or whatever. Those people might be few and far between. I've not met a huge amount, but I know I'm in a bubble as well. So, you know, I'm in a bubble where people come to me saying they've got a problem. Um, and I imagine you are the same, right? You, you don't mm-hmm. sit down with Christians and go, hey, I've got a fantastic sex life and my life is just all together and I love purity culture. Would you be able to cancel me about this completely separate thing that you're not specifically focusing on? Um, mm-hmm. And so we live in these bubbles a little bit. Um, but it's it's huge. I mean, whatever that thing is, it's big. You know, there's no shortage of people that are going through that and and struggling with mm-hmm. that. So, what what kind of therapy were you doing before? Because um, you mentioned you you know you were giving therapy to different people, and that's kind of what sparked your questioning and your unraveling um, in itself. Was it just a kind of a general therapy practice that you had before this kind of process of deconstructing your faith? Yeah, I worked at a community mental health. Actually, I worked at a couple, but it was a lot with um, kids and families. Um, So really like walking through a lot of really traumatic stories. And um, yeah, there it's just so different when you're walking with people through the worst things that have ever happened to them and being like, where is God in this? Mm. And what do I say to this person that's comforting? You know, like, um, that's really when the, you know, beautiful kind of 
trite Christian sayings kind of fall short when you're like, oh, I'm sitting with this, you know, young kid who's had this really horrendous thing happen to them. Mm, Yeah. And and were a lot of these kids from Christian backgrounds or were they kind of quite diverse in, in their kind of spiritual backgrounds and stuff? Yeah, it was pretty diverse. Mm. Like some some kids, you know, they were, you know, their families were not spiritual at all. Some kids mm. um, growing up in the church and having a hard time with it. Some kids growing up in the church and loving it. Yeah, because that's a, a, an interesting thing as well, isn't it? Because I think when we're in a church, we can kind of create this little bubble for ourselves. And we do think in the church, we're all good. We've got our trite little sayings that give us a bit of peace and we can kind of see them from a one-sided perspective and it definitely works. And I don't really hear about any stories where it doesn't work and the stories where it doesn't work, well, we'll pray for you. And, you know, we've got these kind of things that soothe, self-soothe. But when you step out and you look beyond that, you suddenly go, oh, this isn't as clear boundary where everyone in is good everyone out is bad everyone in has god caring for them and loving them and everyone out like it's clear their lives are chaos like you suddenly realize oh gosh everyone is kind of in the same boat here (laughs) we're all Mm -hmm. human we're all in this big mess trying to figure out what the hell it is to be human and how to do this well um (laughs) right yeah yeah it's 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 a fascinating thing um yeah and and the college so did you then after that did you go back and qualify further was that right i remember reading this in your Mm -hmm. bio you went back to do more um counseling Mm -hmm. where does that fit in in the process if you kind of like questioning your faith and stuff was that still before you kind of started to question Mm -hmm. your faith Mm, okay yeah so i actually for my master's degree i went to a christian university oh interesting yeah fascinating (laughs) (laughs) How was that for you? Because I think there's something about, uh, I am very cautious in my experience, counseling in Christianity um, can be a very interesting combo. Um, And so how was it, you know, going through the process of training in counseling at a Christian institution? Like, what was that like for you? Was your, was your prior degree from a kind of secular institution? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like you had an undergrad from a Christian institution as well. And you kind of kept going in that world. Um, what, what was it like for you in that, in that, um, Christian college? Um, (laughs) it wasn't great. Um, I hated most of it actually. Um, it's like, (laughs) let me be honest. (laughs) They're probably not listening. Don't worry. Um, I, yeah, just, I think that was my first eye opener for how politicized the church had become, Mm. had begun. Um, and, but it was so subtle that like at the time I was like, "Mm, there's some things here that are weird. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, but it wasn't until I like finished my master's degree and like got all the way through it that I was like, shoot, like there were some real (laughs) things that I did not agree with. And I actually would like all of the money that I gave you for this master's degree back. (laughs) Um, 
Wow, interesting. So, yeah, it's what, like what timeline was this? This is around the time of of Trump, right? I, I can't remember exactly, but it was it like um, 2015, something like that. I oh my gosh, I graduated in 2015, so okay. um, so just before, really, just before, and I'm like so I'm so grateful because um, <laughs> I don't think I would have survived like through the Trump era. Yeah, uh, I. I'm very thankful that I haven't had to spend too much time in the presence of American evangelical Christians for the last four years. Let, let me say that because that's a lot harder than <laughs> life should be. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean, you mentioned like, you know, the school very being very political, politicized and, and that causing, I mean, does that come into education for counseling? Like, you know, when you're being, uh, to, to me, it's, it's quite fascinating. I've only been to a secular institution um, for education, but like, I, I struggle to see why that is a thing. Like, you know, I, I'm so fascinated by like how these lines bleed, how, how these things become, uh, how does a, a, a college or university become uh, its p- political affiliation become remotely relevant in teaching you how to be a good counselor, you know, and, and helping you um, build your master's degree. You know, it, it just doesn't seem, I'm like, I don't even know how that works. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like what are you, what are your thoughts in it? Like, wh- what is it that is so, I don't even know, I don't even know what the right question is. How, how do these institutions become this way? Why is it important to them? Um, yeah. Was it important to your other peers going through college? Did you feel like most people were on board with the kind of politicization of it? Um, that is a good question. I would actually say for the people who are in my cohort, everyone was pretty, um, well, actually, I don't know, because we never talked about politics like it wasn't Mm. when I was going through my master's degree it wasn't like it is now um like so it was pretty divided but it wasn't like you know the Grand Canyon of being divided um so yeah like the thing is about counseling is that you're supposed to meet people where they're at and you're supposed to be neutral and Mm. you're supposed to have enough ability to be cognitively flexible to like be with other worldviews and um like I have just recently gotten rid of most of my counseling books but I remember like like counseling from a Christian perspective but not being a Christian counselor was really challenging Mm. and so they have um you know, like, of course, you build your theoretical framework, and that's kind of like what you're operating from. But I remember one of the books by Balswick and Balswick about human sexuality. And um, they were just talking about like different, different theories of human sexuality, but it was all like, just like Christian based. Mm. And I'm realizing, you know, like, then coming in sex, and studying sexuality and Tantra from a much different lens and being like, oh my gosh, there's so many different theories out there. There's so many different ways of thinking about things. And like, how can you just 
keep everything within this tight little box and then be giving people a degree to go and help other people in the world right and listen to their stories like it's like the smallest toolkit in the world <laughs> exactly like it's one thing to like pump out christian counselors um and it's a whole other thing to like we did one crisis and trauma class we did one like cultural competency class and that was it mm, and yeah. like talking to my other friends who went to secular universities and studied um social work they like had all of these really complex discussions about what it means to be um like to have a mainstream gender identity and what it means to come from a marginalized identity and what it means to like support people who are like different from you. And I was like mm. feeling like I got cheated because everything was so narrowly fo focused in my degree. Yeah. Um, and I had no, no idea. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, if you're a Christian I, and it's, it's so hard for me to, even think back to that point it's not that long ago um but it's so hard to think back to that point and then to think back to the point without i'm not me today back then going well oh, look mm -hmm. as dumb this is i'm i'm in i'm i'm like there and I'm, I'm seeing it from that perspective but when when you can do that on some level there's no option right who was the christian that was going to write the book to explore the the very many multifaceted ways to explore tantric sex who, who, what, which Christian was going to write the Christian book on that, right? It's not going to happen, right? Because you, you're not allowed. Even just reading about right. Tantra, you're going to um, open yourself up to the demonic or, you know, who knows, like what kind of Christian language would suddenly start bubbling up and you're you're getting kicked off any boards that you're on and you're immediately like, you know, you're no longer an elder at the church or, you know, whatever. Like it, it, it just isn't an option to like explore all these different things to broaden your 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 toolkit, right? It's, it's hard for... It seems, certainly in looking over the last couple of years especially, it's hard for an evangelical to say, hey, can we talk about racism? That shouldn't be a hard conversation. That should be a very big thing where everyone goes, well, yeah, like, yes, let's talk about that. Let's explore it. Are we still being racist? Gosh, how can we be better? Like, you'd hope. But when when that's not on the table, no wonder, you know, um, so many other things, they're just not on the table. And and. It, it is my concern when I look at certain things like that, like I, I, I talk to different people and, and I've, I know people that have found Christian counselors to be very helpful for them, even while they're going through deconstruction, you know, so it's not mm -hmm. a black and white, yes, no, in, out. you know, it just isn't as, as dualistic as that. But I do know so many people that have hit walls because Christian counselors, it's hard to divide who you are from your practice. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how that works um yeah it's it's a really interesting dynamic like is that something that you uh presumably before this you would have on some level seen yourself as a christian and a counselor like mm -hmm. how did you navigate that like did you find at times where you were presented with stuff and it, it was pushing you in ways that you were uncomfortable with or you couldn't cope with or do you look back and, and maybe can critique yourself and go gosh i i wasn't able to give the right advice then and i ended up giving something that was the right Christian advice, but looking back, I'm like, that was not the right advice for that kid or person or whatever. Like, can you talk about navigating that world and, and maybe how that shifted for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The biggest thing that comes to mind is, um, I felt such pressure to fix people 
Mm. Um, and to make sure that I was using the right tools and doing the right things so that people would not be in pain anymore. And my, like my capacity just to be with like, okay, this person's going through something really hard. And my job is just to be with them in this really hard thing was pretty low for a long time. And that is, it's definitely something that's hard for me to admit. And it's hard for me to really look back at my, um, my work that I've done over the past few years. Like, of course, like I didn't know as a new counselor and, you know, we're sure, all just, of course. We're, we're all, growing, all just right? trying we're all to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And even when we're, we're looking back and going, oh, that wasn't as good as it could have been. I'm sure you helped tremendously in a loads of mm-hmm. different ways. You know, we're so mean to ourselves, aren't we? We're always like, that was the worst thing ever. I'm terrible at this or <laughs> not the most self-compassionate yeah. uh, practice, but yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But <laughs> yeah, it's just, I think they're, uh, you know, the way that I experienced Christianity was like, yeah, but let's just get to the happy ending. Let's just get to the part mm, where Jesus comes back yeah. and everything's fine. Um, and not so much the part of we're going to, you know, be with each other in the suffering. And it's, it's so interesting to me that like how we're wired, like the co-regulation aspect, like that is what the comfort is in suffering. It's like being able to be with other people in suffering is what brings the comfort. And um, so I think looking back on so many of the teachings that I grew up in, there's still so many things where I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely true. Just the way that I interpreted it and the way that I heard it was completely different than what, <laughs> than how I see it now. Cause I'm a different person, you know? Yeah, of course. So funny. Yeah. I, I that's an interesting component to me. Christianity can be very end game, very, get the person saved very we're going to heaven this world can burn up i don't care it's very like mm-hmm. all or nothing it's very like let's end the suffering let's get to the paradise it's it's you know earth can burn let's get to heaven um and and the way that does play out is is yeah i mean really problematic you'll know as a practitioner like trying to rush people to the to the happy ending doesn't work right i mean it might work for a couple of people maybe if they're in the right place at the right time maybe they've done the work already and they've you've come they've come to you just the right time or whatever but oh man like yeah that's i mean everyone's gone through some sort of pain right you've been through a divorce you've been through the death of a loved one and someone has come along and go don't worry it's, it'll be fine or you know like and, and they've given mm-hmm. that like that pat christian that the thing at the end that maybe is even like, wrong like, yeah, you will be fine. Man, that's probably true. Yeah. But you want to punch them in the face when they say it, right? Because it's not <laughs> the right time to let you know that you'll be fine. What I want to do is sit down, put your arm around me and cry. That's what I want. I want someone to cry with. Um, mm-hmm. And and Christianity does struggle with that, which is, it's a fascinating component because obviously the Jewish practice is the very opposite. It's the sit and mm-hmm. shiva, like you sit, you mourn with people. It's, it's interesting to see how Christianity sort of... Um, evolved away from that in a lot of ways and, and maybe there's good portions of christianity that still do that practice i i know many christians that can navigate that very well 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an intriguing component for sure that we, we're always trying to rush people to the end and that mm-hmm. just isn't, isn't helpful. You know, the, the suffering is in some ways the, 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 the meat, you know, it's, it needs to be gone mm-hmm. through. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and, and so when you had finished up practicing, like h- how did you, um, talk to me about your actual deconstruction talk to me so what you start having some questions you're you're you know you're working with different clients and and it's provoking these questions maybe you've had the experience of like you know your christian college and how political it would be and these kind of things are niggling away at you like how did that how did you navigate that personally how did you go through these Mm -hmm. questions what were they bringing up and you know what were your fears what were your doubts what were you were you excited about it like talk to me about what's what's going on in in your life at that point Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that point, I think once it got to the level that I couldn't ignore it anymore, um, I was living at a house with four other women. We were all going to the same church, like very much in this bubble. Um, like, you know, my roommates were amazing. They are amazing people. Um, I love them still so much but it got to this point of like I was having panic attacks like they would have um like worship services in our house the people would come over like our house was like the it was a pretty big house so you know lots of people would come over and hang out and so I remember this one day there was like a 50 person worship service they were scream singing and I was like in my room having a panic attack like I have to get out of here so I stopped going to church that summer I moved out I moved back into my parents house um I kind of like went into the dark cave to just like you know like silence all the voices in my head and all the voices around me just to be like what does my voice sound like um Mm. And I'm a nine on the Enneagram. And so like my, my um, ability to merge is very strong. <clears throat> and so like having to come back to myself and come back to my own energy is like such an important process because I just get lost in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really was a very scary time of um, part of me is like super rebellious and was like, I want to do all of the things because I really want to like test things. Like I had dated a guy who was not a Christian and like nothing bad happened. And he was a really great guy. And um, I wanted to like read all the books and like see if like the demons were going to jump on me and do all of the things. And, and at the same time, like also waking up at three o'clock in the morning, like in a fit of fear, like, Oh my gosh, they're coming, you know, like (laughs) seeing all the shadows and like expecting the demons to come. So there is kind of like both, you know, both experiences of like, I'm afraid of hell. And I also want to like question and push boundaries and to like experience Mm. more things um so it was it was very lonely for me it was very lonely because I didn't know of anyone else who was asking the same questions or going through the same process and not sure who to talk to and I'm looking back on it I'm sure I could have talked to more people around me 
um, because in my mind, I'm like, they're going to judge me and they're going to reject me and they're going to shun me. And I don't think that was necessarily the case. Um, for many of my friends, I think they would have accepted me. Um, but I just didn't trust that. Right. It's really hard to trust that, isn't it? I, I, I know a lot of people have had a great multitude of uh, experiences on a whole spectrum of like, you know, from I'm going to kill you all the way to like, oh, that's great. Me too. I'm also deconstructing, you know, so there's every, it's everything in the middle between those two. Um, and most people are somewhere in the middle, right? Most people are human and they're, they're scared by your deconstruction, but they love you and they're trying to figure it out as well. Um, but it's really hard to, to trust other people are going to be accepting and loving and kind when I think a lot of the time it comes down to the fact that we know that we might not have been. You know, if we put ourselves in that shoe like mm-hmm. 10 years ago, someone had come to me and said, I don't know what I believe and I'm scared and I'm blah, blah, blah. I'd be really worried about them. I'd try and get them saved. I'd try and fix them and and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, or we've, we've heard those stories, right? How many times have we been in the middle of a conversation where it's like, oh, did you hear about Bob? Like he's questioning and we all better be praying for him, you know? And, and it's basically mm-hmm. code for saying, oh, oh, well, the devil's got him now, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and so it, I think... And we, we tend to focus on that much more than the other conversations that we have all had as well, probably, where there were probably Christians that were like, oh, gosh, they're questioning and ah, they'll figure it out. It'll be fine. You know, God's bigger than that. It'll be OK. Whatever. You know, like we forget about the person that responds like that. And we remember the person that's like, oh, yeah, they're the worst. You know, let's let's put them mm-hmm. on the prayer chain. Or, um, and so we're paranoid about the, the bad outcome. And we forget that there are like great people out there that can uh, navigate that with you. Um, so you went through this largely on your own then processing this what what was the you know you talk about kind of sitting on that like knife's edge of like you know trying these new exciting wonderful things and the world not ending but at the same time you know wake up in the middle of the night and go oh maybe the world is ending actually I'm not sure you know uh, what was it that pushed you over the edge what was it that that got you to a place where you could kind of start um, coming out on the other side and feeling confident in where you were at and you know maybe some of the life choices that you are now starting to move towards and things that you were, were willing to let go of, things you were willing to embrace, like what gave you some like confidence in that process? Was it just time or was it, was it more to it? Yeah, it was certainly time. Um, and there's this, um, I actually worked with a healer and um, she does this technique called clearing influences. And it's just like a way of, really like processing your emotions about something. And it's typically used with like, um, like family relationships or like um, trauma, but I've been working with this process around Christianity and racism and kind of like my relationship with God and all of these things that has been really helpful to kind of come to an internal resolution. Um, And then like seeing it's been so helpful to see more people and to hear more stories and to like notice that it's not black and white. Like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of gray, there's a lot of nuance and complexity and that's, it's really beautiful to like be with the nuance and the complexity and to not have all the, not have to have all the answers and to not have conclusions. Um, For me, learning how to be with questions learning how to be like in the inquiry that's kind of lived out day by day has been so helpful. Mm, yeah. 
no, absolutely. I can see that being really helpful. <laughs> um, it, it's 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 amazing to see how different people kind of navigate this and, and process this. And I guess as someone that had been given a lot of tools, even maybe in a limited set <laughs> within certain contexts uh, of, of maybe the Christian kind of background of uh, um, your master's program or, or different things, but you have a lot of things on 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 the table in front of you that you can pull from and go oh gosh here's like self-compassion process at work and here's this you know and i can i can give myself a bit of a cbt kind of work over or you know like you've got certain tools at, at hand that i think a lot of us just don't have you know or it, maybe we might do sort of intuitively on some level at times but mm-hmm. most of the time um we don't have that and, and uh, i guess that's a, a a wonderful component that you had to play with as well um almost being your own therapist i guess um in that mm-hmm. process and, and helping yourself through it so what is it that got you into the kind of niche that you've now drawn for yourself um you know you now are focusing on um sex and pleasure you're focusing mm-hmm. on ecotherapy as well um which can you explain what ecotherapy is for people Mm-hmm. Is it just going out into nature and being healed by nature? Is that is that as simple as it kind of sounds or is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, under the umbrella of eco psychology. So like the wilderness therapy experiences and kind of the um, like nature, kind of nature guiding. Um, so it's, it's more of a, just the, therapy process of that so I kind of combine it with a bunch of the other tools that I have Mm. um like gestalt and um some like parts work um but yeah it's you know we go out in nature and like experience kind of like the healing of being outside and then combine that with like uh therapeutic techniques Wow. So yeah. So what what got you into these kind of um, niches that you've kind of carved out for yourself? Because before you were more of a general practitioner, right? Working with mm-hmm. you know kids from all kinds of backgrounds and um, needing all kinds of assistance. Now you are much more focused in kind of who you're helping and how. Mm-hmm. Like, was that a personal journey that you went on? Was it something you just kind of went, oh, I think I'd like to do this? Or what kind of made you kind of like focus on that those areas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, a lot of my niches have been born from crisis. Um, So I got to a point, um, I'd say 2017, 2018, when I was just so burnt out from therapy work and um, I really wanted to quit. And I found this training in California of like, going out and being with nature. And I noticed that when I was taking clients on walks, that um, it was just easier. It was easier for me as the therapist and the practitioner. It was easier for them to kind of talk. And um, I started to do some research and I found this ecotherapy training. And I had one of the most profound experiences of just like being seen and belonging. like I participated in the first demo of our ecotherapy training and it was like this eight day experience in the woods and I camped, um, all eight days. And it was, um, it was just like profound for me. And I knew it was like spiritual for sure. And I knew that I wanted to be able to offer that to people. 
Um, yeah. especially like living in Colorado and, you know, people move here because of right. the mountains and the yeah, outdoor yeah, yeah. life. So that was kind of like how that was born. Um, and then, you know, my journey towards like reclaiming my own sexuality and working through shame and working through, um, like body image and like self image issues kind of led me on this path of like reading a whole bunch of books about what it meant to be feminine. Um, you know, it started with like the, the books about like being a good Christian woman and then it evolved. <laughs> There's to no like, shortage of those ones. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody wants to tell you how to be a good Christian woman. Right. Um, <laughs> Mostly the men as well, which is surprising. <laughs> um yeah so I like started off with those books and then I started reading more books about dating because I was like great I don't know how to do this and then more books about um like being feminine and then it just got to a point where I was like I'm not learning anything from these books and Mm -hmm. I found this training with um this wonderful woman named Layla Martin. And I still remember the day when I like, like I followed her YouTube videos, like she's pretty wild and she talks about orgasms and she talks about Tantra and um, she gives away a lot of free content. And I remember just like seeing this video of her and she was so vibrant and so alive and so um, charismatic. And I was like, that's what I want to be. And so like got on the call, signed up for the training and it ended up being like this year long, like deep dive into like your own experiences. Um, and like really becoming embodied in like your own sexual integrity before you like work with other people. Mm. Um, and you know, I had, and still do to some extent, like layers and layers of shame and like trauma that had been stored in my body that I had to like work through, which that's not a fast process. It's not an easy Mm. process. And um, so it's definitely like a path that I'm still on um, learning how to go at the the pace of the slowest part of me Mm. um, and going being able to touch these, these deeper and deeper parts of me with more and more tenderness and gentleness. Um, so yeah, that's been kind of like my, my story. I'm hoping that like, as I kind of grow and change that I won't have to learn everything from a place of crisis in a, a place right. of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an absolute emergency. I have to figure it out now. Um, but so far that's what it's been that's funny yeah I guess yeah hopefully we we heal up to the point where we can be just intentionally seeking something to work on at some point (laughs) but uh for a long portion it's definitely like oh my god there's more stuff and it's coming at me like a tsunami I need to deal with it (laughs) or I'm gonna drown um Mm -hmm. absolutely what what did that look like for you I mean what what was the process of um you know starting to heal from sexual shame I mean what does that look like for people that, because I guarantee there are no shortage of people listening to this, you know, we're talking a high percentage are going, 
Yeah, that's me. And that's something I want to intentionally work on. And, and a lot of people can reach out to someone like yourself. There's other great people that are doing really good work and helping people in sexual shame, especially from like a religious background and things like that. Um, but that's not possible for everyone, right? Not everyone is is mm-hmm. um, as capable or, or in a financial place or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, what were some of the just the, the kind of the practical things that like, you know, you found helped you? What were some of the big things that kind of moved the needle for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting a proper education about sex and like the functions of the human body. Um, mm. I the first book that we read in my program was "Come as You Are" um, by Emily Nagoski, and she's a PhD sex educator. And like the just learning about like the anatomy and the functions mm. of the human body so so good so like that's the first place where I recommend because for me learning that the way that my arousal system works is normal and there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing like shameful about it was like so freeing for me to be like oh like I'm fine like I'm not broken Mm -hmm. um and so that is I think yeah, like having that experience of empathy and someone else, like, you know, if, if you can't, um, do something like counseling or, um, coaching or something like that, um, read books about it, um, watch YouTube videos about it, like do, do your own research about like how the body functions from accredited sources, of course, because there's a lot of bullshit out there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. But like don't don't pick up the book on from focus on the family or something. You know? right. <laughs> Please don't. No. Or like most of us teenage boys learned sex from was like Pornhub or something like that as well. You know, like yeah. we're like some sort of terribly uninformed Christian or some sort of like ridiculous male gaze focused um romanticization or I don't know if romanticization is even the right word that's definitely not really is it is fetishization and overly you know whatever photogenicization of uh sex and whatever it is like movies porn Mm -hmm. but that's basically what most Christians grew up on this weird balance of two things that neither is particularly real or healthy um Mm -hmm. and and yeah wow okay so great so who was the author of that the come as you are and it was Emily 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 Nagoski Nagaski. So, I mean, that's great as a, a very entry uh, waypoint is this educating yourself. There's no shortage of education. I mean, there's, there's great um, apps out there that you can download. There's all sorts of different things um, that, yeah, it is, it's, a, it's a great way to kind of start exploring and, um, mm-hmm. and, and rooting out that shame. I think it's, it's so healing hearing from an expert that what you experience is normal, which I guess you know, it sounds like to me that, you know, things like, oh, you get aroused. That wasn't a message of normality for you. Like mm-hmm. you grew up and that was not something that people were like, oh, it's normal to be aroused. Like, which mm-hmm. is terrifying. That's a terrifying thing that no one told you that was normal or even mm-hmm. good. No, never mind normal. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's, it's really scary. Really scary. And so in in exploring that and in, in sort of dealing with shame, um, because there's almost two ends of a spectrum there, isn't there? There's kind of being buried in shame. And as you kind of start to kind of peel back those layers, you almost become more proactive and start to mm-hmm. explore 
the kind of the 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 pleasure and the fun and that side of it is is that really what it looked like for you this this focus on pleasure now is it is it kind of like continuing on a trajectory that you've begun now would that be a fair thing to kind of say is that is that what people Mm -hmm. can expect because i'm sure people maybe stuck in this don't know what the future holds them because their their Mm -hmm. interaction with sexuality with with sex with their body has only been negative so far i'd imagine Mm -hmm. for a lot of people Um, yeah yeah it's um one of the coaches that i've worked with i've loved she really emphasizes permission as the first step is like you have this permission just to have like own your body as yourself and especially for women that's a really powerful message of like oh your body gets to be your own your Mm. own and you get to say yes or no I like this or I like that or like you get to own your own pleasure you get to own your own experiences and your sensations and the things that um, you feel and then from there it's like coming back to innocence, coming back to reverence, coming back to the sacredness of our bodies as like these vessels of the sacred. You know, if you want to go that route, like being the embodiment of the divine, like our bodies have to be, they get to be something much more than just like meat suits that house our thinking brains. Right. Which that kind of, you know, it goes back (laughs) into some past philosophical um, beliefs and stuff that really form particularly the Western culture and like how we think and how we view our bodies as being less than the brain and like Mm. our emotions as being less than our our thoughts and our thinking and being rational is like the way to go. Um, So all of that kind of bleeds into everything. Um, But really learning like actually our bodies are so much more than machines. They have this like intelligence and this wisdom. And if we're able to like listen to it, it really can change our lives, change how we experience our lives. Mm. So how, how does that look? Like, what does it look like for, um, for me, for someone that has come out of kind of sexual shame, that's maybe finding themselves now, they've, they've done the work, you know, they've educated, they've got to the place where they're enjoying sex again, they feel free to have sex or whatever it looks like, or maybe in their marriage, their, their sexual life transformed or becoming kind of a bit more free and open. And they are kind of coming out of that place, but they are wanting to move into exploration of pleasure. Like, because I think there's, there's almost, it really is two very different mentalities on some level to, to just deal with your shame. Like it's, it's one thing to acknowledge, Oh, shame is holding me back. It's a whole other mm-hmm. thing to kind of, um, I think as Christians, we're taught like hedonism is the worst, right? You know, this is mm-hmm. pursuit of pleasure is not a good thing. We shouldn't be pursuing pleasure. We shouldn't be um, just seeking enjoyment. And, and these things are, mm-hmm. they're seen as this kind of vain. Um, and again, it's kind of very, this Cartesian kind of like modern, uh, mm-hmm influence on on spirituality and, and whatever but um yeah it has pushed down the kind of pursuit of pleasure um did, did you experience that as you were kind of trying to explore pleasure mm-hmm. did you experience like there was a difference between just working on shame because it's easy i think even christians would say oh well shame's not good you know you want to yeah no no one wants you to be shameful even if they're maybe perpetuating that for themselves and things like that like they wouldn't say that shame is an outcome that they look for 
But I think certain people, even after dealing with their shame, would go, oh, yeah, but we're not supposed to be just driven by wanting pleasure. And that's such a carnal mm-hmm. thing. And it's such a uh, whatever. And, and, and a lot of that is probably very uh, rooted in our Christian upbringing. But I think a lot of it's quite societal as well. I think we are. Mm-hmm. Um, quite wired not to be just these carnal fleshy beings that you know like are just driven by lust and enjoyment mm-hmm. and um, th- th- these are the kind of things we start to think of right it's the caricatures that we bring up and we go oh no 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 like how did you deal with that how, how do people go through that process and, and you know mm-hmm. if that's something that they want to start exploring and opening themselves up to like pursuing pleasure finding pleasure mm-hmm. for themselves where, where do you begin yeah yeah, so the the language that we use is so important and the definitions that we have to these words is so important. And the way that I de- define pleasure is just the sensory experience of delight. So it's just like what happens in our brains when we're doing something that um, brings us delight, that brings us joy. And um, there's so many different ways of experiencing experiencing pleasure and we've for so long just stuck it in the sex camp where it's like Mm. it can be pleasurable to like eat a delicious meal or to like have a conversation with your kid or your spouse or to sit in the sunlight and so I think it's really important to like broaden the definition of pleasure and to really look at like the pleasure when I look back on my Christian experiences, pleasure was not banned in its entirety. It was just like the more seedy experiences of pleasure that was at someone else's expense. Mm. Like, of course, like I'm not advocating for someone to express their desires, (laughs) like as, you know, like maybe someone who has more tastes of like, pedophilia or something like that right sure um like there is it's definitely rooted in integrity and it's rooted in um relationship and it's rooted in like yes like there are things that bring me delight that are mine that I can enjoy um and there's desires that we have that teach us something um so maybe a desire to go out and to have sex with a hundred people in a day is there. And maybe someone doesn't pursue that desire, but just examines it for the message that it's going to teach them. And not that that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, that's not a choice that's in line with my integrity at this point. Um, So I think there's so much nuance to pleasure, but like really grounding it in whatever your value system is and whatever your is in line with your integrity. And sometimes mm-hmm. we have to like kind of go beyond what we're comfortable with in order to really know what our boundaries are, to really know what it is that like, yes, this works for me. That totally doesn't work for me, mm-hmm. you know, and some people just know, and some people need to experiment and so there's lots of different ways of figuring that out. Yeah, I guess especially for those of us that were always told what those boundaries were, it's very exactly. hard for us to 
you know, know what is my kind of internal moral compass and what is my internalized kind of pre-programming by someone else who is also internalized pre-programming. And this dates back to, you know, gosh, hunters, hunter-gatherers worshiping the sun or, you know, like, I mean, at a certain point, like if we just keep following this back, yeah, they were still doing that. And that was their boundary for what was right and wrong. And we've just kind of kept it going at a certain point. That's very ingrained in my, me and my society. And I'm probably going to have to push past some form of comfort or boundary to figure out, oh, no, that really is something I'm not comfortable with or, oh, that is OK. Now, I'm not saying like you, I'm not saying like, oh, well, give it give yourself a bit of a push, maybe murder one person to see if it's for you or right. not. Like, of course, I'm saying, you know, like we, we, we do things that are legal. We value other people and their autonomy and their freedom and their choice. And, you know, like, of course, there's all sorts of components that we we incorporate into that. Um, but yeah, you, you might have to sleep with someone to go, ah, oh, you know what? I'm not into very, very casual sex. I want it to be a bit more meaningful than that. And that's a bummer, but it's no harm done at the same time, right? It's, it's, I'm, I'm still a healthy whole human being because I've already dealt with the shame that my value is linked to who I sleep with or how often I sleep with someone, or if I have ever slept with someone that's gone, that, mm -hmm. that, that component is gone. So I'm free to make a quote unquote mistake. Um, figuring it out um and i think that's a beautiful thing. and i love what you said as well of um decoupling pleasure from these kind of like single kind of hot spot focuses that we're mm -hmm. so um fixated on growing up as christians and and maybe culturally as well i think we're very fixated on sex and money and different things like that um but certainly in Christianity, we hear pleasure, we hear things like that. And, you know, it's, it's whatever the past that it was all over Twitter recently, who was like, oh, people only deconstruct so they can go and have sex with someone. And I'm like, really? I'm like, seriously? What? Like, are you kidding? Like, really? Um, that just makes no sense. Like, I'm like, first of all, how many people are in loving, committed, like monogamous relationships that deconstruct? They're already having sex and they don't want to have sex with anyone else but they deconstruct. I'm like, it's just so many components where that just immediately falls apart. Um, right. Whatever. But like the point being though, this guy can't think through the process and topic of deconstruction without making it about sex. For him, like mm -hmm. he's, he's filtering everything through sex. And, and I am maybe projecting myself onto him because I know as a Christian, I filtered everything through the concept of sex. Constantly, I was thinking about sex and mm -hmm. mostly like, when was the last time I masturbated and how mad is God at me? And have I done enough mm -hmm. good deeds in between that and now to feel close enough to God to pray properly or to raise my hands and worship without a lightning bolt hitting me or, you know, <laughs> right. but like I'm constantly incorporating everything to do with sex and I think if you spoke to me in the past and mentioned pleasure, I would have thought sex. Hell, I wasn't going to be having sex. I was still like this uncomfortable, awkward, bumbling person that was addicted to porn and masturbating, but definitely not having sex with anyone because I couldn't talk to girls until I liked them, you know? So like, you know, but I'm still, everything's about sex. And mm -hmm. it's, it's so interesting to think that there's a way to orient ourselves where, of course, we think of sex as pleasurable. If that's where you're at, you're not particularly asexual or anything like that. Um, but that's not our only... You really think the only way to be pleased and, and to have pleasure is to have sex? Gosh, like, what are you going to do for the rest of your day, every day, all week, all <laughs> month? Like, you know, like, what are you going to do? You know, I don't know, when your wife's just had a kid and, like, you know, you, you can't have sex for a while and, you know, you give her space or whatever. Like, really? Yeah, whatever. 
you know? Um, it, it's just so fascinating to me. It's, I love, um, are you familiar with uh, Dr. Tina Schirmer Sellers? Mm-hmm. And she talks about sex as being so much more than intercourse and exploring that broad mm-hmm. gambit. But I love the idea of looking beyond that even to like just a full spectrum of pleasure, of delight, of enjoyment, of creation, of, of life. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it gets me happy. It gets me excited. Um, I really like that. Is that so for, for you, is that where the kind of ecotherapy kind of breaks in? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, giving people... Um, space to find delight and, and pleasure outside of, you know, their, their normal worlds. I guess most people don't live outside and um, spend mm-hmm. as much time outside as probably we'd like to. Um, but how does that incorporate with pleasure for you, the, the ecotherapy? Mm, that's a great question. And I hadn't really thought about it in these terms. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's been such a huge part of my life is being outside in nature and really learning how to reconnect to just the fact that we come from the earth. Like our, our bodies are like made of all of the stuff that is here on this earth. And then mm. when we die, it kind of like that, the decomposition process, like the returning back to the earth. Um, so it really is this beautiful experience of, of bringing connection to something larger than yourself. And mm. especially when human relationships can be so difficult, um, being able to tap into like a nature experience and being able to like see animals and birds and things just kind of happen naturally is such a beautiful way of connection mm. and a beautiful way of um having that like suspended timelessness experience of like there's no rush there's no pressure to like Mm. make anything happen or do anything or like be super left brain it's like oh you can just be and like watch the world kind of evolve around you as it does yeah that's oh it it gets me excited makes me want to go outside (laughs) (laughs) even though the weather's not great um my wife and i yesterday we love watching documentaries about all sorts of different things and we we stumbled across this documentary of um it's called like living with the amish and it was about people in the uk some kids basically teenagers that Mm. went over to america and lived with different amish communities and they were lucky enough the amish communities let them film them and things like that and um it's really fascinating but one of the things they took away when they came back where they were just like the pace of life when you take out technology when you take out a lot of the rush of we've got to build this big business and create an amazing empire. We care what our family looks like on social media, or, you know, all these things. And I'm not saying that Amish people can't be vain or can't be any of other things or, you know, that they're, they're human. So they're susceptible to all of the kind of full range, but there's a component of just living so much slower, so much more in tune with nature. Um, you know, that life just doesn't rush by um mm-hmm. in the way that it does i think in our day-to-day like gosh i wake up and it's like eight in the morning and the first thing i think is like oh my gosh i've got this to do and then i've got that and then i've got that and then i've got that and I've, i'm already thinking my way through to like midnight to go to bed again you know like and, and i'm just waking up like what happened to like oh just waking up just being here just being present you know like mm-hmm. take an hour to think to meditate to do some yoga or something um it, it's such a fast-paced life and it's hard to do that when you go for a walk in the hills 
you, you just don't do it as much, right? You, you, you do just go, well, I'm going for a walk in the hills. Like, you know, what else am I going to do? I can't do much. Mm-hmm. Out in the, there's no cell reception and there's no one else to talk to. And, and I'm just here. I'm just being. Um, that's a profoundly healing thing. For me, I found, you know, just being out in nature and um, just finding when I walk, like just touching a tree and just thinking, gosh, this has been here for like, hundred years like the you know my grandparents weren't alive when this tree was a sapling um mm-hmm. that's very there's something just incredibly grounding to to this earth this place that we reside with things like that that thought you know the 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 redwoods in the in california that were around before jesus was you know and you're just like mm-hmm. whoa that's kind of crazy you know it's just yeah weird I, I don't know I, I don't know what it is about it for me that that does that but I, I just it, it humbles me maybe maybe makes me realize that like this life that I'm rushing through is kind of insignificant in the space of you know a mountain or <laughs> the sea or I don't know um it's, it's really fascinating what t- tell me about your ecotherapy so how does that look like if you know someone's going for a walk with you and, and going through this like what does that look like? Is it you're just talking to them going through kind of talk therapy as you walk or is there, is there more to it? Is, is it just the mm-hmm. practice of being outside? Is that, is that just naturally you trust in that being healing? Like what does it look like to, to do ecotherapy? Yeah, it can look like a lot of different things. Um, my, the, like my theoretical orientation is really somatic Um, so it's a lot of like mindfulness, a lot of paying attention to body sensations and emotions and images and kind of like the internal world. Um, so for some people, we do a lot of walking and talking and for some people, it's a lot of like, let's take kind of this internal experience you're having and externalize it. So we could, like say this tree over there is your dad and that bush over there is your mom. And like, let's explore the relationship that they have with each other and with you. And why did you choose those um, kind of aspects of nature to be this reflection of your Mm. internal world? So I love doing kind of experiential processes Mm. with people um, because I think it can it's like life, you know, it's so much easier to practice something in your day-to-day life if you've also practiced it with someone who's like helping guide you through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much um, data there showing that somatic therapy is definitely kind of opening up as a a major player in the, in the world of therapy moving forward that like, I mean, almost everyone I talk to is like talk therapy is on the way out or certainly dwindling Mm -hmm. or certainly, showing to be less valuable than we have valued it in the past and that you know these kind of more experiential practices are are so important and so huge and so that's really fascinating to me do, do you have thoughts I, I i see that you offer emdr is that right mm-hmm. yeah do you have thoughts on it because i i know i've talked to certain people that are very pro emdr 
a lot of people that have had trauma and things like that are really into it. I've also talked to people that are really like, ah, it's like pseudoscience or, you know, or that it's, it's, it, it works, but it's not because of the EMDR. It works because of the practice of what you're doing and different things. Can you talk to me about that? Cause I'm really interested. And I know it's maybe mm-hmm. not the, the, you're not maybe the world's leading expert on EMDR. I'm not <laughs> expecting you to be or anything, but can you talk to me about why you found that to be so helpful maybe? And, 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 mm-hmm. you know, cause I know a lot of people, a lot of people ask me about it and I'm kind of torn cause I'm like, this is not my world at all. And I've talked to people that are really into it. I talked to people that are really not. And I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> Figure it out. Uh, but as someone that offers it, I'd be really interested to, to hear what you think about the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in my experience, EMDR is really helpful um, for people who have certain experiences. Like I found it to be really helpful for people who have trauma, like a single event or an event that happened like not as a part of like developmental trauma or attachment trauma or complex trauma. Um, What I've found is that people who have more complicated traumatic experiences, like there's a lot more like trust building with like the body and being able to be, being able to tolerate body sensations before we can even get Mm. to EMDR. And I think like because it's been effective for people who've experienced certain traumatic experiences, um, it's kind of like everybody wants to do it. Right. But then when we're actually like looking at what people's experiences are, if there's a lot of like chaos, chaos or disorganized attachment internally, EMDR is not effective and actually can be harmful. So I'm kind of like... Like, I think it's great for some circumstances, but it's yeah. certainly not like the trauma, you know, the fix it tool. The one, one, yeah, the one size fix all. That's really interesting to me. And it makes a lot of sense to me, um, I guess, because most of the people I've heard that have been more critical of it are people within the kind of religious tra- trauma field, which generally speaking is going to be complex trauma. It's not right. very, it's very rarely a single kind of focused event. Um, whereas outside of, um, maybe the religious trauma kind of world and maybe outside the last kind of five, 10 years, most trauma that was talked about was single impact trauma, kind of one moment. Um, and so I can, I can see why, yeah, a lot of people that have these kind of big traumatic events can kind of, um, see that helpful, but, but other people suddenly going, oh, this isn't actually going to work on a lot of different um variations and that's really interesting so you talk with with complex trauma which is probably most relevant to people listening to this kind of religious trauma kind of backgrounds um you talk about you know kind of learning to trust the body to you know get into the body and feel the body and and experience sensations and things i'm really intrigued by this because i have very very low introception i'm very bad at like Mm. what my body's feeling and things like that i've got a whole host of different other things so i'm 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 a i'm a therapist nightmare because i have aphantasia so i can't picture things in my head it's not possible so if Mm. you say picture a red elephant i can't i can't see an elephant in my head and i can't color it sorry Um, i can think Mm -hmm. of the words red elephant, or I, I know what that would be, I, but I can't picture it. And so, so certain things, you know, very visual kind of practices, feeling things mm-hmm. in my body, I find really hard. Um, and I know some of those, you're maybe listening and going, these are red flags for trauma, Phil. These are red flags, right? So I know that <laughs> as well. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm also imagining that um, 
other people that are going through these have these kind of more complex, broad kind of experiences of trauma, like what are mm-hmm. some of the, the helpful kind of practices that some people can maybe be exploring, maybe even on their own, if, if they're not working with a practitioner that is helping mm-hmm. them to learn to be more in their body, learn to kind of um, mm. explore this in a safe way. Obviously, you know, this you can really uncap your trauma in really unsafe ways, of course. So mm-hmm. don't dive in head first, everyone. <laughs> but, you know, what, what would you kind of um, suggest for people that are in that place, you know, that um, it's, it's not a one-time thing. It isn't something that might be um, something that like EMDR might be as effective in. It is going to be probably a long, slow process of kind of learning to be present, learning to be a bit more somatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a lot of like places to start is usually outside of the body. And so like getting um, for people who are having a, like struggling with a lot of anxiety and depression or, you know, just having an activated nervous system or being totally shut down. It's like just starting with like noticing that your body um, on an ideological level is safe in the present moment. Mm. And um, one of the things that I've heard recently in a trauma training actually is that listening to the bird sounds is actually this ancient practice that people have been doing since forever because that signals safety to our mm. um, our uh, like brainstem, like our right. The part of us that is like super ancient technology because, you know, fight or flight, um, that part of our nervous system has been around to keep us alive for a long time. And Mm. so like from like hunter gatherer days, if birds were around, then there's not a predator around. Right. You're not about to be eaten by a wolf or something. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So um, it's just like cues like that in our environment can be like, Oh, this chair that I'm sitting on is stable and my feet are touching the ground and um, actually orienting towards pleasure is one of the things that can be really helpful Mm -hmm. is like turning our brains to, Oh, I have flowers on my desk and they're really beautiful. Or I can see the trees outside and, and reorienting again to like, I'm safe here in this present moment and something beautiful is around me. That's really supportive. Mm. Um, I think it's a great place to start. That's so good. That's really interesting to me. I I've been struggling a lot with anxiety and all sorts of different stuff in the last couple of months um, and I've had some different health factors that have probably played in and probably my anxiety has probably played into them it's kind of this chicken egg scenario where it's just a terrible downward spiral and um, but as part of that I've been trying to put aside in the morning some time to do some yoga or tai chi and some meditation and I do it in the back room in our house which has like these double doors open up into our garden and even mm. though it's freezing cold because we live in England um, I open the doors because as I'm meditating or doing yoga I love hearing the birds um, and I was just thinking about it. I didn't really actually even acknowledge that that's what it was um, until my wife had a day off and she's like, oh, I'll do some meditation with you. And I went to open the doors and she's like, it's freezing cold. What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, sorry. So I closed the door. But as I was meditating, I was like, you know what? I miss the sound of the birds. That's why I want the door open. I, I love like that. There's something really grounding about that. So I, I've never thought of it from that perspective of that kind of evolutionary, um, I am safe from prey kind of um, mm-hmm. component. That's an amazing, isn't that amazing that like, 
birds who, who gives much thought to birds most most of the day right and yet they literally are around us soothing our brainstem you know calming it down and going you are safe you are safe you are safe as they sing mm-hmm. um oh i love that it's absolutely amazing lauren thank you so much for coming on um i, I really appreciate it um if people are interested in working with you in getting in touch with you in kind of following you what are some of the the best ways to go about doing that mm-hmm. yeah i'm on instagram more i would say most often um so my instagram handle is lauren h scott and um i have a website um havenwholeness.com is my kind of coaching practice. And um, for clients in Colorado who are interested in therapy, um, my website is Grace Springs Counseling. Right. Of course, because in America, you have to be state-based. So mm-hmm. so is that you just kind of get around that by kind of doing more kind of like coaching beyond kind of Colorado if you do online and stuff? I know a lot of people do that. Um Brilliant. So yeah, so you're not limited to have to work with people. So if people are listening to this from outside of Colorado, they are still welcome to uh, contact you. And is there a particular type of client? I know we've, we've kind of touched on uh, certain types, but is there a sort of like mm-hmm. a parameter for people that you, you work with, generally speaking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for therapy, um, I mostly work with, you know, clients who've experienced trauma, but they could be, you know, anyone who fits in with that. For coaching, I work with a lot of, um, well, mostly women or um, people who like have a vulva or kind of identify that way. Sure. Okay, great. That's really, really um, good to know. And I'm sure plenty of people will be keen to connect with you. Um, I really encourage people to check out. I love your Instagram stuff. I love what you're posting on there and, and always enjoy following it. Um, but yeah, this has been really, really fun. I've enjoyed finally getting to connect face to face because I know we've chatted a bit on Instagram and stuff, but, uh, yeah, it's always a joy to kind of meet the person behind the text. So. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, hopefully, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, hopefully your dog is surviving, um, and isn't just kind of scraping the door down. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for getting up early and making the time. I really enjoyed chatting with you and getting to know you a bit more. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Love you, Lauren. Catch you later. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was Lauren Scott and I'd encourage you do check her out on Instagram. I always enjoy her posts when she's posting on there. It's Lauren H. Scott. Um, and do check out her websites. If you're interested in going through um, any of her th- therapy practices, if you're in um, Colorado, it was gracespringscounseling.com. And if you are outside of that and would like to look at um, coaching, it's havenwholeness.com. Um, do shoot her a message on Instagram, shoot her a DM, let her know how much you appreciated the conversation today. That always means a lot when, uh, I know for me, when I'm on podcasts and I get a message from someone saying they enjoyed it, I, 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 it makes me feel good. It makes me think, oh gosh, I'll come back on that podcast. And so if you certainly, if you want to, to come back on and, and have another chat with us, um, that's a great idea. Um, but yeah, shoot her a message, encourage her, let her know what you liked about this show, um, that you enjoyed the conversation. Um, yeah, that's everything. I think, um, as always, uh, I really appreciate every one of you. Appreciate your your time, your attention. It means a great deal to me that you you come and hang out with me every week for these conversations. Um, we having another great conversation next week. I've got Kate Stockley who has written a book 
called Spirit Tech, which is all about how technologies are being used to transform and enhance spirituality today. Um, we're in such a, a fascinating time of life where we're shifting away from um, organized religion and people are expressing much more individual um journeys and figuring out their own spirituality or lack of spirituality and technology has such a role to play in that we talk about like techno technodelics and psychedelics and we talk about vr um communities and, and all sorts of different uh interesting things and so do check out that next week um i'm going to be away next week so i might not be as uh available over dms and things like that but uh by all means please shoot me messages on instagram i'll try and get back to you whenever i can um i'll be very active still on my partners and patrons uh discord channel and so if you want to still be chatting with me throughout the week um do jump on to our patreon group um you can do that by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash or phildrysdale.com slash partner um for as little as five bucks a month you help me pay the bills you help me give away everything i do and spend time helping people through their deconstructions for free um and as a thank you you get access to that intimate group um we we have amazing times amazing conversations and real connection over there it's, it's, it's a beautiful beautiful space um and it would be wonderful to have you on there um like i said that's where i'll be probably spending most of my time when i do get a chance to do a bit of work next week on my holiday um, and I'll, I'll be jumping in on there and having a bit of chat um, mostly because that is my chill uh, unwind space it's become a safe space for me to process and to unwind as well as for the hundred or so people on there um, if you are deconstructing and you're going through this journey and you feel lonely and isolated do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you haven't already it's a free resource it helps you find other people in your local area that have gone through or are going through this process and it can be a real life changer um, for so many and so do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you haven't already okay that's enough from me i will see you next week i love you all i hope you're doing well peace